Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time that we have again to come and study your word. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon us, that you would please speak to our hearts, that you'd guide us and help us to see the truth as it is in Jesus, that you would please make plain the truth to us, that we might see its application in our hearts today. Lord, this is our earnest plea and prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings to everybody out there. Today we are looking at our next study entitled Fourfold. What we looked at the last time was the sin of David and Bathsheba. And this sin God did not regard lightly in the sight of heaven and even in the sight of earth. When Nathan came to give that parable to David to, to give this conclusion and to help give this sentence upon David, I want you to look at David's reply again regarding this situation and what he had just done. As he was giving this conclusion to the parable, look at what David says in reply to Nathan after hearing the parable. He says in 2 Samuel 12 verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Unknowingly, David was passing sentence upon himself. He was going back to pay back fourfold, four times, what he had done to Uriah. And the first had already been paid back. It was the baby that had been conceived by David and Bathsheba. And look at what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 19. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How would he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. This innocent baby would perish because of the sin of David and Bathsheba. Yes, friends, as parents and as leaders, we got to remember that we have a great influence over the lives of others, that what we do affects those around us. And our sins, they don't just affect us. It doesn't just cause death to us and harm our souls and our bodies and our minds, but it also hurts those around us. And so we see here that this is the first of the fourfold sentence that David, he pronounced upon himself. But you have to remember, this is only the first. Let's keep reading in the next chapter, shall we? In 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 2, <clears throat> And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her, 
And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. And so friends, what we are seeing here is drama at the very next level. Amnon falls in love with Tamar, his sister. He is so lovesick for her that he just can't stop thinking about her. He's get phys- get, probably getting physically sick about this as well. And eventually, he would hatch a plan. He would pretend to be sick and ask for the sister Tamar to come in to take care of him. And look at what would happen next when she does this. 2 Samuel 13, 8 to 11, and also verse 14. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. And he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have have out all men from me. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber, that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And then verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. He would force his own sister to sleep with him. Basically, he raped her, his very own sister. Eventually, the news would spread. The news would get out, of course, because Tamar would not remain silent. And she would run back to her brother Absalom, Tamar's brother, and they he would discover what would happen. And look at this. Look at what happens. 2 Samuel 13, 20-22. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when the king heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spoke unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So Absalom, he would discover this and he would be so angry. He would hate his brother in his heart for what he had done to his sister. And he would lay a plan and he would wait for the right moment to revenge his sister. In fact, he would wait two whole years to pass before he would have the opportunity to exact his revenge. We read this in 2 Samuel 13, 23. But to make matters worse, the father, King David, When he heard about it, he was very angry, but we don't see anywhere where he would do anything about it. Why? He himself had just committed adultery. And so the guilt that he felt in his heart held him back from bringing justice to Tamar. You see, the law, it actually called for the sentence of death on the adulterer. And even more so, when it was done by his very own brother to the sister, this is a crime of incest. And so what would happen? Absalom would take the law into his own hands. He held that hatred in his heart for two years. For two years, can you believe it? He would not forget, not even for a moment. And he was just biding his time. He was waiting for the right moment to strike back. And so we read in 2 Samuel 13, 28 and 29. 
Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Spite Amnon, then kill him, fear not. Have not I commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man get, unto, get him up upon his mule and fled. And so what's happening here? Absalom actually goes and makes a feast and invites every one of the siblings to come as well. And he, at this feast, would instruct his servants to carry out his wicked plan and kill Amnon at the time that he is drunk. And so this would be the second death in the family of King David, of which David would pay back because of his sin with Bathsheba. His own judgment was coming to fruition. It was the second, but it was not the last. There would be two more to go. You see, news would eventually reach back to King David of the death of Amnon. And first he thought that all his sons were slain by, by Absalom and his servants. But when the dust settled, he realized it was only just Amnon. But what would Absalom do? What would he do when, after he, he, he kills his brother, what does he do? We read in verse 37 and 38, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Gesha. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gesha and was there three years. So Absalom, he would flee, he would run. He was scared for his life. And if adultery called for the life of an offender, how much more would murder cost? Absalom knew that he deserved death, and so he ran. You see, friends, two wrongs don't make a right. But David must have known that he should have done something as king. He was being neglectful as the ruler of the kingdom and as well as father to his children. He was watching this terrible scene unfold before his very eyes and he would mourn every day for his son, but yet he was paralyzed with fear and especially with guilt. He must have known that God was punishing him for his sin, that this sentence of fourfold was coming up and it was being executed and his sin was before his very eyes. But you see, friends, this is what guilt does to us. When we carry guilt and shame in our hearts, it stops us from being the man and woman that God wants us and intends for us to be. It hedges us up from doing that which is right. When we see the same sin in others, we can't bring ourselves to execute justice because we ourselves were, were caught in that same position and probably even much worse because David was king at that time. And so this is why it's so important to confess our sins. This is why it's so important to make it right with God. This is why it's so important to ask God to give us victory and not go back or even fall into sin in the first place. You know, David, he had made confession of his sin. He had asked God to forgive him and God had forgiven him. But when he was seeing the the divine sentence being carried out in the life of his children and his first child with Bathsheba had died already. Now he's seeing Amnon slain by his own brother. His guilt was coming up before his eyes. His sin was resurfacing and it was almost as if it was a reminder and Satan was poking at him. And because of this, he did not execute justice as he should have as a king and even as a father. But though David had sinned, 
God had kept him graciously in that position of authority. And it should have been enough of a sign for him to see that, that God had pardoned him and that he should have been true to his trust. Yet Absalom would be gone for three years, exiled from the father's presence. He would not go over there and chase him and, and cast him to come back. But what was happening? We read in 2 Samuel 13, 39, And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. But you know, even though he longed to go forth to Absalom, he would not go. He did not go. He was being neglectful as a father and a king. And because of David's neglect, God would permit events to take their natural course and did not restrain Absalom. Well, what was happening? Well, first, Joab. Joab, which was the, the chief of the, the, the armies of David, he would be instrumental in first bringing Absalom back and to try to bring reconciliation between the father and the son. And so what would Joab do? He would send a woman to David who represented herself as a widow who had two sons. And through that story, through this somewhat of an acted parable, she would turn it around and ask for reconciliation between him, King David, and Absalom. And she was successful. Look what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 14 and verse 21. And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. And so Absalom would return to the kingdom. However, not everything is fully reconciled. Let's keep reading. Verse 24 of 2 Samuel chapter 14. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. And so though he had returned, it seemed like David did not want to see him. Was this a form of punishment on Absalom? It seemed that way, but it would not work out in David's favor as we will see Later, let's keep reading. Verse 28, so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Can you believe that? This would continue for another two full years. So a total of five years would pass since the death of Amnon, his brother, David's son, that Absalom has not seen his father. Three years at the king there with the king of another land and then two years back at the father's place, but the king would not see his face. And so finally, Absalom would get the attention of both Joab and King David. And he was not done yet. What would he do? Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 15 verses 1 to 6, and it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy, came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right. But there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so when any man came nigh unto him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. And look at this. 
So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. After Absalom was finally reconciled to his father, finally saw the face of his father, he began to go out. He began to go out and meet and greet the people, and he was slowly winning the hearts of the people. David obviously was still being a neglectful king. And so Absalom would sit out there and he would begin to to judge the people's cases. He would begin to mingle with the people. He was stealing their affections, their trust, their loyalty. And every grievance that people had, he stood there and listened and gave them time. And one by one, people began to trust more in Absalom than in King David. And there was only one thing left for Absalom to do at this point. Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 12. But Absalom sends spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, when he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Over time, as Absalom was sitting there at the gate, judging the people's grievances, listening to their complaints, listening to what they were saying, as he was mingling with them, as he stole their hearts, there was only one thing left to do. He was trying to take the kingship from his father before the father was ready to pass it to him or to anyone for that matter. And so there was a conspiracy that was hatched, and he was not alone. One of the foremost counselors of David, Ahithophel, also stood with him as well. He was one of the wisest political leaders in all the land of Israel. And this is what we read of Ahithophel. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. People really respected um, Ahithophel, and they took great heed of his counsel and his advice. However, upon hearing upon this conspiracy to take the throne, how does David react? He's been sitting in his, in his palace all this time, but he's been a neglectful father. He's been a neglectful leader. His guilt has just cast this big shadow upon his rulership that he had not been going out to see the people. He was ashamed to meet the people. He was ashamed to, to, to exact justice upon the very thing that needed to be done with, with the death of his son. And even when bringing back Absalom, whom he was so angry at, but yet he said he reconciled, he did not see him for two years. And then, of course, it was three years before that. So much had been going on in the life of David that really he was, he was guilty of allowing all of this to come to this point. But all of a sudden, when he hears of this conspiracy, how does David now react? Let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 15, verse 14. David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly 
and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. He gets up to flee as if a man that's woken up out of slumber. He does not want to bring war on the city and his mighty men go with him as well. The priests get up to bring the Ark of the Covenant as well. But David stops them and asks them to go back into the city. If God would be gracious and merciful to him, he would bring him back into the city again. And so we read of all these things and you can read some details that we've skipped here in the verses as time is short in a study, but you can go back and read in these verses how David, he makes haste to get up. But why does it seem, and we have to look at this important situation, why does it seem that all of a sudden such a, a trusted advisor and leader, Ahithophel, just defects and joins to the conspiracy with Absalom against King David. I mean, he was must have been one of the most loyal subjects to King David. Why all of a sudden this is changing? How come he would just change sides just like that all of a sudden? What do we know about Ahithophel? And this is really important because, you know, the, the change inside just doesn't make sense, does it? No one else seems to have done that. Of course, um, Absalom has been stealing the hearts of all the people out there bit by bit, but Ahithophel of all people, who is Ahithophel? What do we know about him? Well, let's go and read 2 Samuel 23 and verse 34. It says here, Eliphelet, the son of Ahasbi, the son of Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. So, so notice that Ahithophel, Ahithophel's son is Eliam, okay? Or, or pardon me, uh, uh, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. So yes, so Eliam, he is the son of Ahithophel. And, and now look at this as we go and cross-reference this with 2 Samuel 11 and verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So who is the daughter of Eliam? It is Bathsheba. So the son of Ahithophel is Eliam. And Eliam has a daughter, her name, Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? That was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. So Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba, and he was exacting revenge on David for bringing shame to his family for the wrong that he had done to Bathsheba. He had been biding his time, Ithophel, and this was a time that he saw best to take revenge against King David. And so now we see why this conspiracy would come together. It would not have been possible. It would not have had any legs to run on if it was not for Ahithophel because everybody regarded the counsel of Ahithophel as the oracle of God, as if he was the spokesperson of God, like he was a prophet. And so by and by, Absalom, as he sees his father run off, and flee out of Jerusalem. He takes counsel now with Ahithophel as what he should do. And look at what Ahithophel says. 2 Samuel 17. We're coming back to the situation now, this conspiracy. 2 Samuel 17 verses 1 to 4. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men 
and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders of Israel." So what did Ahithophel counsel Absalom to do? That all he would do was just take 12,000 men and strike while the iron is hot, while David was weak and taken by surprise. However, Absalom would take counsel also with someone else, not just with Ahithophel. He would take counsel also with Hushai, who was undercover for David, who would try to change the counsel of Ahithophel so as to warn David and to give him time. And so his counsel would go opposite to what Ahithophel would say. And he would try to give David more time to escape and prepare for war. Look at this. 2 Samuel 17, verses 7 to 8. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For Hushai, for said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men. And they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war and will not lodge with the people. And moreover, he would give counsel that he would appeal to the pride of Absalom. He continues, and look what he says. 2 Samuel 17, 11 through 14. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Bathsheba and as a sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person, so shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found. And we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. So in this counsel, Absalom liked the counsel better of Hushai more than Ahithophel, even though really, Humanly speaking, Ahithophel's counsel was better, but God saw fit to overthrow the counsel of Ahithophel that Absalom would listen to Hushai instead. But as this counsel was being given, there was one there that was not deceived. It was Ahithophel. He could see the intents and purposes of Hushai was in the favor of David. But to go against it was too late, for it would be to go against Absalom, who had liked Hushai's counsel already. It would appeal to his pride. It would appeal to his glory. Oh, go out, and you go out to war with everyone, and you will bring all the multitudes, and you will just make David fall in the sight of everybody. And although Ahithophel was wicked, he certainly was not stupid. When he saw Absalom choose Hushai's counsel, what did he do next? Look at this. 2 Samuel 17, 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got his, him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. 
He knew that when Absalom chose to follow the counsel of Hushai, that David would come out victorious. David would not would have more time to prepare. David also had all the seasoned soldiers with him as well. Defeat for Absalom was inevitable. And so before he could be punished for for treason against the king, he decided to take his his own life, take the matter into his own hands and end his life right there. And so Absalom, he he would follow Hushai's counsel, prepare all Israel for war against, against David. And what would be the result? Well, we know the result already, but let's go and read 2 Samuel 18, 6 through 8. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. The armies of Israel under the command of Absalom would suffer a terrible defeat. They were untrained. They were unready for battle. They stood no chance against the mighty men and well-oiled machine of David's troops. And then we also read, verse 14, Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And so not only would the Israelites suffer a terrible defeat, Absalom would be killed. His hair got caught in the branches and he was suspended midair and Joab himself would go out and slaughter Absalom. And upon hearing of his death, how would King David react? Obviously the battle was won, but David would hear of the death of Absalom, his son. And how would he react? Look at this. 2 Samuel 18.33, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. He would weep for his son, whom just a few moments before that was seeking his life. But the life of his son was more dear to him than his own life. David cared so much for his son that day and was weeping so much that the celebration that should have been been for the whole army and the victory that he had gained for the soldiers that had fought this battle for him was replaced with mourning instead. And you know, it's so interesting that David here is weeping for his son, but had he been a, a good father and a good king, all of this could have really been avoided. And so he's weeping for his son whom he lost, which really was his own fault. But you got to understand that David is realizing now what? The third. The third of the fourfold has now come to fruition. His sin has come up before him again. And he's realizing that the divine sentence that was pronounced upon him back then, which really he pronounced upon himself, is coming to fruition. But Joab, the commander of the armies, he could not stand to see what the king was doing. And so he comes to reprimand King David while he's weeping for his son Absalom. 2 Samuel 19, 5-7 And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, and that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. 
For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night, and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Joab goes in and he reprimands David because he's weeping for the enemy. All these soldiers had gone out and fought this battle. They had gotten him the victory. David had to flee from Jerusalem for his life and now his life was saved. But instead of being victorious and celebrating, he's weeping away. Every, all the soldiers have gone back to their homes with the, the tails between their legs. They've been all ashamed that they've actually won this battle. And Joab says, if you don't go out and congratulate them, all these people will rebel against you. And so Joab, he is trying to save the face of David, save his kingship. And if not, there would have been a, a rebellion that would have risen much worse than that of which what Absalom had done. But finally, peace is brought back to the kingdom of Israel. David, he is reinstated as king over all the tribes, but not before losing his own son, Absalom, in battle. And so we see prophecy coming to fruition. God's word is true. God is not allowing the consequences of his sin to be removed. Yes, God has forgiven King David. He's kept him in the position of king. But the consequences of his sin is not removed. And you know, friends, sometimes we we don't know in, in God's decisions and the complexities of the decisions that he makes. Sometimes we confess our sins. We ask God to forgive us. He forgives us. And sometimes he removes the consequences of the sin. Sometimes he does not. There is 100% certainty that we can have with God that when we confess our sins, we can claim 1 John 1, 9. God is true to his word. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can stand before God as if we had never sinned. The, the, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ is that sufficient that it will cleanse every blot, every stain, every spot. But the consequences Just because we suffer for our consequences, it does not mean that God has not forgiven. Okay? You've got to remember that. A person who smokes all their life and they say, God, forgive me for smoking. God forgives instantly on that spot. When that man confesses and he asks God to help, God will sufficiently save to the uttermost. He will hear that prayer. He will cleanse. But it doesn't mean that that person might not suffer the consequences of all his life smoking lung cancer or whatever are the other effects of of smoking. Or even when it comes to liquor drinking or when it comes to stealing. A person who in prison finds himself there for 10 years or 20 years and he confesses and says, God, forgive me. God forgives him right there on that very spot. And if he dies, he will have a place in heaven. But does it mean that he'll be released from prison? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And so we got to understand the, the heart of God. And there are times we don't understand at all. We understand very clearly when we confess, God will forgive. But we must leave it up to God and His good judgment, whether He will remove the consequence, whether He does not. You see that? But God is not a man that He should be trifled with. He will be true to His word. 
And so though he forgives and he forgave David's sin, the consequences of that sin for David was not removed. It would linger over his head throughout the remaining years of his rulership, one act of passion, one act of indiscretion made him pay back fourfold throughout his lifetime. And you know, friends, the better, the better situation is to not have done that act in the first place. We've got to be so careful with these decisions that we make, for truly, we reap what we sow. And one unwise act may change the whole course of our lives. And you know, friends, maybe you have made that one unwise decision and maybe you're suffering through the consequences of it. But rest assured, when David asked God to forgive, God cleansed him thoroughly and he could call him a man after his own heart again. But today, if you're young, you're grown up and you have not made any of those huge failing decisions in your life, may God give us the wisdom, the courage, and the strength to always follow through with that which is right. Although sometimes it requires a cross to carry, although sometimes it's not the popular thing to do, may God give us the courage. And that's, that's many times what we also need as well. Because so many times in this day and age, we fall to peer pressure. We fall to those that are around us that are doing wrong <clears throat> because we don't see anyone else doing right. May God give us that strength, that courage, that faith, that hold on God to do right and be right simply because we know that that is the right thing to do. And no matter what the consequence is, friends, let us learn to deny self. Let us learn to, to be temperate. Let us learn to ask God to give us that holiness and righteousness of the life of Christ, that he will help us to make all the right decisions with his willpower guiding us, with his thoughts guiding us, with his character in our hearts and our lives. And so friends, this is why it is so important to always come back to the Word. Every single day, we need to fill our hearts and our lives with the Word of God, that it would change our hearts and minds to help us to be guided down that right path, that sometimes it seems so close between that which is right and wrong. But may God give us the help. May His Word be ever in our hearts. And friends, let's come back to His Word each and every day. Let's spend more time in our devotions. If you're used to 10 minutes, double that to 20. If you're used to half an hour, double that to one hour. If you're used to one hour, double it to two hours. We're even told that even Martin Luther, on his busiest days, he would spend three times, three hours, pardon me, with God. And so friends, the busy days, we need more time with God that he would give us clear direction in every decision that we make. May that be our experience today. And may we learn to hold on and cling to God through all the decisions of life that we have to make. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, please draw close to each and every one of us. As we spend time in your word on a personal basis, may you speak to our hearts. May you guide us with your words. May you transform our lives that the desire to do right would even simply be there. Father, please, we have no goodness of our own. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's not one righteous, no, not one. But we need the righteousness of Christ. And so, Father, cover us with his righteousness. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us. 
we pray and help us to always have the courage and the strength to do that which is right. Father, encourage us with these words today. This is my earnest plea and prayer. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, friends, for joining us. May God be with you. May God bless you. And may we walk ever closer with God in this next week. Until we meet again, may God guide every decision that you make. God bless.